Live from the Danger Room, hidden deep under a Westchester mansion, it's the Mighty Marvel Tooncast with Tim Nidell and Jeremy Shields. Two of you. The odds are getting better and better. Spiders, danger. We always kiss the bridesmaids, too. This ain't Cajun country, hun. Zip those lips. Kumbaya! He's alive. And in a lousy mood. I can't believe it. Get away while you can! Join them as they review classic Marvel animation. And now, here's Tim and Jeremy. Excelsior! Hello, hello, hello! It is me, it is Jeremy, and I am not by myself because I'm in a danger room and you should never go to the danger room by myself. Guess who's with me? I don't know, who? Uh-oh. Oh, it's, it's, this it's, guy doesn't know who he is, I'm worried. It's my cue, isn't it? Oh, this is Tim Mydell. That's who this is. <laughs> yes, it is. This is Jeremy Shields and Tim Mydell. Now, you might be thinking you're listening to Saturday Morning Rewind or the Neverland Podcast, but you're not. You're this so is a wrong. totally new thing. This is the Mighty Marvel Tooncast. Yeah. So it's a whole new thing, and so tell them what we're planning to do, Tim. So uh, this is the episode zero, kind of the pilot episode, and we are going to be discussing prior to the X-Men for this episode, but going on after this, we're going to be talking about the X-Men animated series from the 90s and the Spider-Man animated series from the 90s. Woohoo! And much more, I'm sure. Yeah, and if we get past those, you know, if, if this is going good and everybody's enjoying it, we're going to get into X-Men Evolution, Wolverine and the X-Men, Spectacular Spider-Man, and if we have time, we might look into what Disney XD has been producing, but I haven't really been all that pleased with, with Ultimate <laughs> Spider-Man, to tell you the truth. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just, it's just I think they aim for a younger audience with that one. Yeah, yeah. So I guess if I'd have been younger, I'd probably have been into it. Sort of like Pride of the X-Men. Because uh, after watching this again, I could definitely can see where it's aimed for a younger audience. I, I really enjoyed it, though. I, I, I still do. I haven't seen this in forever, honestly. I don't know when the last time I saw it, but it's got to be years and years and years. And I enjoyed myself. Maybe it's because I am younger than you, though. <laughs> well, I still enjoy it because it's, I don't know, there's something about the cheese level of things from the 80s. Yeah, yeah. You, you still have to enjoy it. But this was made as a pilot episode for a potential animated series. But it didn't go through. What happened to it? So I read today that Marvel was kind of having a lot of financial problems. You know, they, they pretty much went bankrupt. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is one of the things that they dropped. They they kept everything except for Muppet Babies, they said, which I didn't know they were involved in Muppet Babies. I think I remember hearing that before when I talked to Katie Lee. I think she might have yeah, mentioned it. Yeah, so they dropped everything, and this is one of the things they dropped. Well, that's kind of sad. And they were all set, you know, all guns blazing when this thing was out because they had already made a six-player arcade game mm-hmm. yep. based off of this series. I remember going to Panama City, Florida. So I used to live nearby there and uh, playing the arcade all the time with my buddy Eric. Yeah, first time I saw it, it was uh, I was in a bowling league, and I wasn't that familiar with X-Men. I knew who they were, kind of, but I hadn't really ever read or anything. Yeah. And seeing that arcade game, I was like, oh, this is that X-Men I've heard of. And it was, you know, six players, so I was just 
yeah. enthralled with it. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I mainly just knew who Wolverine was because Wolverine was like everywhere, even yeah. in the eighties. So you know, basically, this is this is around that you know Chris Claremont age where in the eighties where yeah you know, he could do no wrong with writing the X Men and he really built the popularity up of these characters. And so it makes sense to me that they would have taken that step to say let's try to translate kind of what Chris Claremont has done into an animated series. Although it seems to me they might have been focused, uh, you know, because a lot of series in the eighties were like that where you'd have one major enemy and every episode was going to fight that one major enemy, mm-hmm. yep. just in different plots. And it did remind me a lot of like G.I. Joe. In fact, I think yeah. there's a few familiar voices in the cast. There, there is, that I exactly. G.I. Joe. I was thinking the same exact thing. You know, this is a, a perfect mesh of G.I. Joe and the X-Men cartoon. And it, it, I really thought the same exact thing Like within like five minutes of watching it again. It's like, this is <laughs> G.I. Joe, but with mutants. <laughs> Pretty much, because even uh, Cyclops, I believe, is actually the same voice as yep. Duke. Michael Bell, yep. I know. Yeah. I was like, that's Michael Bell. Which he was the very first episode of my Saturday Morning Rewind podcast that I did. So yes, thank you, he. Michael Bell. <laughs> I believe he was also that cab driver, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Forget it, kid. <laughs> <laughs> yep, we also have Dan Gilvezan, uh who played Colossus. He's also in G.I. Joe. And uh, Neil Ross, who did Wolverine, did Shipwreck in G.I. Joe. Uh, Pat Frigley was Pyro. And uh, he was in G.I. Joe as well. Yeah, a lot of... Of course, Frank Welker was in this, too, and he's done everything. Oh, now, who was Frank Welker in this? Uh, Toad and Nightcrawler. Oh, okay. I can, I can understand Toad. I can see that. That's, yeah, that's yeah. pretty much similar that's, to his That's stuff. Frank's voice right there. I didn't catch that as being Nightcrawler. I didn't so either. Now I want to watch it even more so I can really listen yeah. for Frank Welker. Because <laughs> now I'm trying to think if it sounds any bit like, you know, Fred with a German accent. <laughs> Okay, so a bit of a plot synopsis on this is this, of course, we start out and it's an open road. And I love the way that they have Stanley open this up mm-hmm. and basically explain this to anybody who like, oh, yes, I know some Marvel stuff and I like cartoons and I like Spider-Man. And then you don't know anything about the X-Men. You've just seen this incredible intro, which cue music now. No place to hide. No place to run. No place to run. The mutant has now begun. So you have that great intro when you're like, and I don't even understand all the lyrics of that. It's uh, X Men, and does it save the day or what <laughs> is know. it? I don't remember. I can never understand that other line. So you've had this great intro. So you're a kid, maybe just watching this, and that pops up. If you didn't know anything about it, Stanley comes up and explains. Look around you, because you never know who may be a mutant. Welcome. This is Stanley of Marvel Comics warning you. Look around you. Your classmates, your friends. You never know which one of them may be a mutant. Someone born with extra powers. And it sets up everything perfectly because then you, of course, you've got Magneto's being hauled away by military. And you really get the uh, the idea that, oh, yes, we they're filthy, stinking mutants. And we just hate them because they're mutants. And you also get pretty much a good Magneto perspective because he's already talking about it. It's like, ah, oh, when I'm done, you there won't even be a place for humans. So everything you need to know about this series is explained in five minutes. I know. So great. <laughs> Everything's a spoon fed to us. Yeah. But I love some of the uh, the great dialogue in there. Like, Colonel Chaffee, the convoy is sinking. Colonel Chaffee, Colonel Chaffee, come in, please. The convoy, it's sinking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but I always thought that would be a great you know line between if it was like you and some friends and you all understood what you were talking about. When something goes wrong, I would just love to be able to say, Colonel Chaffee, the convoy is sinking. <laughs> Just so they would know what I was talking about. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, so basically, you know, the White Queen shows up, which this was before the White Queen got turned into a good guy in the comics. 
you know, bust out Magneto. And the rest of it basically is we get to meet Kitty Pride as she first shows up at the X-Mansion. And she gets an introduction to the X-Men, which conveniently introduces all of us to the X-Men. Yep. Which I, I think they made pretty good choices for who they choose, chose to put in this series at the time. I think they probably got the most popular mutants. You know, even to me today, these are the big ones. Yeah. Except for I, I still like Jean Grey, but a lot of people complain that Jean Grey really doesn't have much personality or something. But she was one of my favorites. I can't help it. But well, maybe it's because they had a thing for redheads. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. I, I, I was missing Rogue in this definitely, though, because I love Rogue. Yeah. Well, I think at the time, wasn't Rogue still a villain? I don't know. I don't know the whole timeline. of. I, I read the comics back in those days, but I, I really don't remember. Because she was a villain for a long time, but she, she seemed kind of a bit more reluctant and then eventually ended up joining. Uh, I don't know if the push point really was when she uh, stole the powers from Marvel Girl. I don't know if that was the final push pin to where she was like, there's, there's something wrong with what I'm doing here. Yeah. I, I wasn't familiar with Rogue until uh, like X-Men number one when they relaunched the series with Jim Lee's art. And then you know, oh, she was wow. flying and kicking butt and being awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I guess Rogue might have popped up later if the series had gotten on. Who knows? She might have been an evil mutant or something at the time. Yep. And, of course, I was missing Gambit because I love Gambit, too. Yeah, which I don't remember when he first appeared, but I think he was somewhere in the mid-'80s. He was He was before Wolverine, wasn't he? Uh, well, Wolverine, because uh, I know his big Wolverine's first pop-up with the X-Men was in the 70s mm-hmm. when the giant-sized X-Men. Okay, so Gambit uh, would have been after Wolverine yeah. then. Uh, Wolverine's actual first appearance was in an issue of The Incredible Hulk. Yep. But I don't believe at that time they had established him as a mutant. They just needed somebody who was, who could fight with the Hulk. Yeah, exactly. You know? And the costume was ridiculous. <laughs> and he was Canadian, not Australian people. So, you know, yeah, that was, that was a little annoying in this one. Welcome her. Wait, she's not one in the X-Men, is she? She's just a kid. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what was behind the decision to have him with an Australian accent. Ooh, ooh I do, I do. What was it? Uh, the story editor, Rick Hogert, Hobert, Hoberg, something like that. He said that this was going on during the 80s where there was like this a huge Australian like fad going on where they wanted to make everybody Australian for some reason. And so they decided to go Australian for this for this episode. <laughs> and that's pretty much it, even though he's Canadian. I'll blame Paul Hogan and Crocodile Dundee. There you go. That's a knife. That's a knife. Yeah, that, that might be actually it. <laughs> he made Australia really cool. He did. <laughs> and nice. And for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, uh, just Google it. <laughs> great old movie. Well, one of them was great. The second yeah. one was, was good. <laughs> the second one was, yeah, the second one was I never saw the one with this kid. Yeah, I heard it was awful. Yep. <laughs> so I skipped it. But uh, the biggest crime, though, of the Australian Wolverine is him actually referring to Toad as a dingo. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry about us, Dingo. We'll make sure we can. And I was like, uh, there's nothing remotely Canadian about that. No. I mean, he, he didn't even say A or anything after A? <laughs> Dingo A? Yeah. Or, yeah, he's calm Bub. Come on. Bub's his word. Don't use Dingo. Yeah. But he seems to have been brought into this cartoon to be the standard grumpy character because you have to have one. Yeah. Which is kind of his role anyway, but he's just everything – he reminds me of Grumpy from The Seven Dwarfs. I'm sorry. I made a Disney reference, didn't I? <laughs> that's okay. It's Marvel. It's Disney now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but where he's just always got to be cantankerous and disagree with what the rest of the group is doing. I do I do love the, the old retro Wolverine outfit, though. Oh, yes. Much better than the old yellow and blue. I like the yellow and blue, too. But it, you, yeah. just something – it might be the old arcade days. You know, It might remind me of the old arcade. Uh, the orange and the brown and stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Something about it though just seems more animal like though with the yeah. ginger brown though. Yeah, not as colorful, not as you know, it doesn't look as I don't know, cheesy. Yeah. <laughs> he actually looks like a Wolverine. Would should look, you know. Yeah. You're going for an animal thing. I know. It just always seemed a little cooler. We got to go through uh, probably what some of the cheesiest moments, and a lot of the cheesiest moments have to do with dialogue. <laughs> a lot of like like we said, a lot of GI Joe dialogue. It seemed like. Yeah, but well, GI Joe, I don't even even think got that. Well, then again, GI Joe did have or cold sliver and all that stuff. Yeah. We're cold sliver. You'll be joining us soon. A band of vipers playing our tune. <laughs> cheesiest episode of GI Joe, but I absolutely love that episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the cheesiest episode of G.I. Joe is one where there's, they're, they're a rock band. You remember that one? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, okay, yeah, I couldn't remember. Yeah, because they had Cobra had their band, We're Cold Sliver, oh, yeah, and we'll yep, be yep. joining us soon. Yep, that's cheesy, band but the it's... Vipers playing a tune. That's a great episode, though. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> and then, of course, in order to counter it, G.I. Joe just comes out and sings their, sings their theme song. I know. <laughs> it was great. It was so cheesy, it was, but I loved it. But yeah, so there, there's definitely some levels. Um, a lot of it, of course, I think had to do with Magneto's uh, dialogue. But of course, the cheesiest line was uh, was Pyro. When because uh, so after Kitty Pride has shown up, there's an alert, and the X Men must go. You know, and they find Pyro and Blob are at some sort of facility using, I guess, what could be the early version of a flash drive and taking some information in order to track down the Scorpio comet. And uh, these hostages they have taken in there said, what do you want? And Pyro has the great line of nothing. No, wait. Blob says it, not Pyro. Sorry. Blob says nothing. Just take over Earth. Nothing. Just take over Earth. Oh, that's great, though. That's great writing. (laughs) That's fantastic for the level of cheese that kind of existed (laughs) in the 80s. Exactly. It was light and fun, so you just go with it. But there are some, you know, other... What I call goofier moments. Was there something else that jumped out of you as cheesy before we move on past the cheese ball? Honestly, the only thing that really stuck out with me that I I didn't quite understand was that dragon. <laughs> Lockheed. Okay, was this, yeah, I couldn't remember his name, but that dragon yeah. is like, what's he doing? Is that like the snarf of this, the series? <laughs> I don't know what they plan to do with him, you know, because we didn't get past the first yeah. one. But I know he's he's been a friend of Kitty Pride, and I don't I don't remember in the comics how he came about. Okay, uh, but he's always been Kitty Pride's best friend. You know, see, I never was too familiar with Kitty Pride. Yeah, I I wasn't that familiar with her at the time either. Um, I think I learned more about her actually through the Ultimate comics because I was reading Ultimate Spider Man, and they had for a short while they had her dating. Uh, Peter Parker there, but I have gone and back and out since and read a lot of the old Curse Claremont and gotten to see Lockheed in there. Uh, and I don't know what brought him around, but he's very, you know, he's useful. Mm-hmm. He does breathe fire. I mean, <laughs> so, and he's very protective of Kitty Pride. So I guess, it's, you know, until she got trained up and learned to fight and everything, she had a dragon that could go and fight while she was phasing through and messing up your computer. Mm-hmm. Yep. But here in the more more modern age, she's been fully trained by Wolverine, and so she is definitely deadly now. So she can go through the wall behind you and then kill you. Nice. So she's become very, very cool. And on and again, off again with Colossus, which I do wonder if in the series they had intended to go anywhere with that because they didn't present Colossus as being himself only about 19 when she's 14 to where, you know, there's, there's pretty close in age. You could see the potential romance maybe they could have used in the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, he's presented almost in the series. He seems more like he might be in his twenties and it seems a little bit too age gapped to me. Yeah. That could be just me. Yeah. 
It, it's just you. Yeah, it could be. Okay, but some of the goofier moments uh, are things that I always have to question. I wondered, what, wait a minute, what about this? Uh, basically, the X-Men at this point have to go to Asteroid M. Well, before that, though, the one thing that always kind of bugged me is why Magneto has to go through so much trouble to get the uh, this circuit from Cerebro, which uh, this this I guess this this circuit in Cerebro uh, somehow or another amplifies mutant powers. I don't know if that's how he uses it to locate them somehow. Yeah, you know, the circuit doesn't necessarily make sense, but Magneto needs it to amplify his own powers to grab a hold of this comet with his his magnetism. But being a metal object, he could easily have pulled it away from Kitty Pride at any time. Yeah. <laughs> ah, the mutant power circuit. Give it to me, girl. But no, he's got to chase her down and then back her into a computer, shock her a little bit with some wires, and then take it. Well, maybe he's the one that liked Kitty Pride. He just wanted to get close to Kitty. Uh, that's creepy. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. And I, I do wonder uh, if any more modern people who maybe got into X Men from the say the movies or something like that, if they watch that. They see Magneto show up, and Charles Xavier says, well, he Magneto cannot hide his thoughts from me. I could just hear people going, but I thought the helmet protected him from, from the mental stuff. <laughs> well, no, not originally in the comics. I think in the movie they, they did that to kind of give them license to be able to have that helmet because otherwise it really is like, why is he wearing that silly-looking yeah. helmet? Yeah. Because back then, I think they were afraid to really step it up to the level of something, say, Avengers, you know, where they say, you know what, let's it's comic book. Let's throw everything in the world at this thing. Yep. So if X-Men got a, a second shot at it, we'll see. You know, maybe it'll be a little bit different, but we'll see. I think they're going to continue on. Um, but anyways, OK, so back to what I was thinking, was, you know, questionable stuff. The X-Men show up to the asteroid. They all get out. They're wearing spacesuits. Now you've got fully, you know, helmeted spacesuits. How in the world does Cyclops blast open the uh, the asteroid without destroying his visor on the, the spacesuit that he's wearing over his head? Wow. You think about things too much. Maybe I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's always bothered me. Uh, and then when they get inside, everybody's still wearing their spacesuit except Wolverine. Oh, come on. He's a rebel. He doesn't have to wear his. <laughs> He he was in one, I'm pretty sure, when they left the Blackbird to go onto the asteroid, wasn't he? <laughs> I think so. But I, I could see the problem being that if he extended those claws, he would tear open the suit. And so, you know, then he wouldn't be able to use it later. So he just real quick manages to take the thing off real fast before they go running down this, you know, hallway, which is strange. But OK, I guess they weren't in that much of a hurry. No, 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 no. But uh, this is where some of the fun of they introduce the villain characters and match them up one-on-one with various different X-Men. So you get a look at everybody's powers and let them kind of face off a little bit. So it's kind of a clever plot device. The only bit of it to me that doesn't work is Wolverine clearly traps Toad, uh, the dingo. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's trapped in this cave, which, I, okay, I guess it's an asteroid, so he makes a little cave. Now it kind of makes sense. There's no way Toad can get out of that. Why doesn't Wolverine jump back in with the rest of the group? Because he's Wolverine. That's, that's my answer for everything. <laughs> that, yeah, they all, I, he's Wolverine. So, But they go along. Dazzler's faces off with Pyro, which Pyro is really bad at fighting back at this point. He doesn't even uh, try. Um well, this is where we also run into – this was a fun question that I had to ask. But OK, so Blob is an immovable object. He, he proclaims nothing moves the Blob. No power on Earth can move the Blob. 
Juggernaut is an unstoppable force. Once he gets going, he goes right through anything. So what would happen if Juggernaut took on the Blob? See, this is what I think. I think that the Blob is just, he's just full of himself. So he tells people that nobody can move him. But it's pretty much a fact that Juggernaut is unstoppable. Oh, yeah. So I think Juggernaut will kill him. <laughs> yeah. See, Blob's power is based upon he kind of absorbs because he's just big and or just rolls of looks like fat. But he absorbs the blows and then he can just, you know, you know, sort of decompress himself and push back. Now, uh, at, doing some research, we found an issue where Blob was facing the Incredible Hulk and the Incredible Hulk charges in. Pushes a fist right into the blob's stomach. Blob is kind of laughing. <laughs> Nothing moves the blob. Watch what happens when I push back out. And the force of him pushing his girth back out against the Hulk actually sends the blob flying back. Yeah. So I'm with you. I think Juggernaut would have plowed right into the blob and, you know, would have been still applying all that force, not really stopping. He's pushing through, and eventually Blob would have to, <sighs> you know, just release. And the blob would go flying, and Juggernaut would just keep on going. Yep. Probably to run him over again. Yep. But, yeah, so we have the blob popping up. We have Juggernaut facing off with Colossus. It's very fun. Everybody matches up. And I love Nightcrawler's response to the blob when the blob stands there. Oh, nothing. No power on Earth can move the blob. Which my thought would be, guess what? We're not on Earth. This is an asteroid. <laughs> but I love Nightcrawler's reaction. He says, well, I wouldn't dream of trying. Off eaters ain't. And he just teleports behind him. Need nice. to do. Nothing moves the blob. And I wouldn't dream of trying. I love Nightcrawler. Yeah, but this is also that little bit of cheese where the blob, because he's a big palooka, he's got to be entirely stupid. And he gets this great line here. Do you remember what this great line is? I don't. Where go? <laughs> Where go? <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, that's worse than the Colossus broken English rescue kind of thing they've got going on uh -huh. with him. Yep. <laughs> But it's just a great little bit of dialogue. But but here's the other bit of questionableness that's never made sense to me. Okay, so Magneto has put himself in this circuit. He's got all these circuits running through the Cerebro mutant power thing or whatever to enhance his abilities. He's grabbed the comet. He's redirected it. Now, a comet is – it's the only forces that's going to act on it would be gravitational fields or, I guess, a magnetic field that Magneto has now created – but, you know, it's not going to have any friction unless it, you know, enters the atmosphere or something. Really, nothing's going to divert it after he's changed the course. Okay, so then Nightcrawler comes along with Kitty. Uh, they managed to get Magneto to, to break a circuit. Kitty managed to push Magneto down. They, um, they managed to get, get Magneto's computer working against him. They fire it back up. They use Magneto's power against him to redirect the comet towards Earth. In order to get the circuit complete, though, that Magneto broke, Nightcrawler goes up there, somehow or another doesn't get electrocuted, Completes the circuit with his own body. But here's where it bugs me. So they have now acted on the comet and, and put, tried to put it back on its own path. It should stay there. But Magneto says that, oh, Nightcrawler's, you're still going to lose because Nightcrawler's going to have to die because he has to keep that circuit going or the comet's going to head back towards Earth. I've never understood that because what would, what would reach to grab the comet again to redirect it toward Earth if... Nightcrawler wasn't there. Nightcrawler could let it go. That comet's going to keep on the path it was on because there's no forces interacting on it other than some gravity. So can you explain this one to me? Uh, because it's Wolverine. Oh, <laughs> wait. That doesn't work with this one, does it? Wolverine wasn't there. He was standing around 
watching Toad try to dig his way out of this thing, I guess. I don't know. See, this brings me back to Armageddon with Bruce Willis. You know, when they're on the asteroid. No, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so as much as I love the cheeseball 80s, sometimes it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. But well, I still absolutely love this. The animation on this is great. Oh, it was so cool. Yeah. Like, again, it just reminds me of G.I. Joe again. Yeah, I think I think they probably went through the same animation because it was the Marvel Productions. Yep, yep. Which did, of course, also the Transformers and GI Joe, which always had some just brilliant animation. Which I think is Japanese based because it's it's always got such a great stylistic yeah to it with the gleams and you know yep. If you're going to use superpowers, get some Japanese people to animate it because they'll make you look awesome. Exactly. The most racist thing ever said in this podcast. <laughs> but that's actually, no, that's very complimentary. I mean, they're just that's great true. animators. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of anime, but you can never fault the quality of the animation and the effects they all do. It's just brilliant. They're really good at it. I don't know where they, you know, thought up their ideas to, to how they do things, but it's it's awesome. And you'll find even a lot of our great animation, even today, a lot of our, our Disney films and stuff, you will find a lot of list of Japanese animators because they just – they know what's up. Well, anything you would like to add to this? I feel like I've been going on and on. No, no. This has been great. Um, not really. You've touched upon everything really that I had written down. <laughs> uh, but yes, alas, this was the end of it. Aww. And uh, – I think it's a slightly predictable ending, though. Uh, they, they try to create some drama at the end where Nightcrawler – and I, I love how they're very smart. They didn't really – they'd mentioned line of sight teleportation just once when they introduced Nightcrawler. Mm -hmm. But it's brilliant the way they think about that and they project a, an image of the Blackbird on a screen where Nightcrawler can see it so he can visualize where he wants to teleport. Yep. That's, that's good intention to detail right there. Yeah, that is. But I love the drama they create when Nightcrawler teleports himself. Oops, he missed. He's outside ah. of the Blackbird. Now, of course, the drama is like, oh, you know, this this is some great uh, – just because how the, things were the 80s, this was the level of how they had dialogue. Oh, he'll burn up entering Earth's atmosphere. Not if we can get the grappling beams to him. There. He's alive. Not for long. He's entering the Earth's atmosphere. He'll burn up. It's very, very Super Friends style. Oh, yes. I love it. Yep. <laughs> You didn't have to have believability back then. Nope, you don't. And you could have that's I'm one of them weird people that, you know, with the Resident Evil games, everybody always complains about some of the dialogue and line delivery in that first Resident Evil game. But I love it. Because yep. <laughs> it's it's a style that they were going for. It's cheesy. I love it. <laughs> but uh, I I honestly I could see where it was going when I first saw it. And I remember when I first saw this, I didn't see it on television, but I had bought the videotape. Uh, I think it was work, I was working at Osco Drugstore at the time, and they had the video in there, and I bought it. But I, I was like, well, this isn't a problem. If he can see the Blackbird from where he's at, he can teleport again. So I wasn't that worried about it. But, of course, they extend it out, and you see his his suit burn up. Nothing's there, and they're thinking, oh, he's gone. Just so you can have Kitty Pride, who has been, you know, understandably, because he's kind of scary looking, has been kind of bad, badly treating Nightcrawler, a little bit afraid of him. Oh, get away from me. Mm -hmm. And now she has to have her moment of, of course, oh, and I was so mean to him and I can never make it up to him before they hear a noise in the locker, but a smoke is coming out and Nightcrawler's in there like, I made it. <laughs> Which is a heck of a good teleport for somebody whose line of sight, he managed to get inside the blackboard, not just inside the blackboard, but inside of a locker so he can make a grand entrance of, I'm alive. Yep. He thought I was dead. Yep. The very first David Copperfield. That's right. Nightcrawler is awesome. He really is. 
and that's the thing. I would really like to see him get more treatment because um, I, I thought they did a pretty good job. Uh, he got to be in one of the X-Men movies, but uh, I, I really want to see more of that character. Yeah, no, he's a great character. He, I mean, he, he shows up around now and then on the cartoon in the 90s, but yep. he need, we need more. Yeah. Oh, in the 90s cartoon, a great episode when he made his appearance. Yeah, I know. That was an amazing episode. That that was some stuff in there that I think would be controversial. That oh, episode. yeah. Oh, yeah, there would be. Because there's there's a lot of faith in there, but yep. it's like that's that's the character you really have to kind of go that direction. Exactly. So we'll definitely be talking about that episode later because it, sure. it is definitely one of my favorites, and yeah. we'll get to it in sequence. It may take us a while to get there, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm looking forward to it. Oh yeah, so this is going to be great fun. But uh, I figure we'll start uh, with a Spider-Man episode because technically this episode zero was an X-Men episode. Yep. Sounds good to me. So, but those of you listening, if you've enjoyed hearing me ramble on and Tim having to listen to it, (laughs) (laughs) then uh, shoot us an email over, you know, uh, we're going to get an email eventually set up specifically for this show, but you can send an email over to podcast at neverlandpodcast.com and I'll see it and I'll share it with Tim, or you can send one to Tim. And what is the email over there? It's contact at saturdaymorningrewind.com. Certainly. And of course, if you don't listen to either one of these two shows, well, how did you get this? Because really, we're going to release it on our own feeds first, but eventually we'll probably have this on its own feed. Yeah. Uh, but we'd, we'd like to know what you think. So send us an email. Say, tell us what you thought of this show. Uh, we're, of course, still working on format. We're, you know, it's kind of rough right now. But uh, as we go, we'll hit a stride and uh, we'll probably prepare a little bit more and Tim will get to talk more. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Because <laughs> I know I can talk a lot and I can overrun somebody. And I can, I can listen a lot. So it works out. <laughs> But uh, I, I figure we better get out of this danger room before I get tempted to press any buttons because it may be proof fatal to us. Ow. Did you press something? I didn't do it. Okay. It was Wolverine. I'll always blame always Wolverine. Always Wolverine. <laughs> Little dingo. Well, I guess he wants to use this and uh, test himself. Wait a minute. I thought he was trapped in adamantium. Last time I saw him, he was trapped in adamantium. I don't know what's going on with it. I don't know. <sighs> okay. But uh, we'll see you all next time with the Mighty Marvel Tooncast. That's right. See you guys.